Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Brands. Here we are, my dear listeners from around the world. Episode number 26, this one. Anyway, I'm going to be talking today to a wonderful guy called Gregory. His name is Gregory French, um, and him and his team are based in London. They've got a wonderful brand called Atlas Accessories, and not only do they create stunning handcrafted and ethically sourced jewellery, they've just got a real connection with the product, and hopefully that will come through on the interview. I really, really hope so. It's also worth pointing out, actually, that they do give back 5% of their gross revenues to save and protect endangered habitats across the world. And that's a gesture and that's a, a theme, should I say, that runs right the way through this interview. So I hope you enjoy it. And um, yeah, let's get on. Let's take a listen, shall we? A massive behind the brands welcome to Gregory French from Atlas Accessories. How are you today, sir? Are you well? Hey, Warren. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really good. I'm so pleased that we've got this interview together. I know we've had a few uh, a few technical issues, shall we say, but we got there in the end. So um, welcome, Gregory. And this is your first podcast. Am I right? Yes, very much so. <laughs> you were a little bit nervous, but I think it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be a good one. So tell everybody, Gregory, what you're about and what you do at the moment. What is your business? Um, so I basically am a jewelry designer and I started Atlas Accessories. Uh, which is um, an accessories company using kind of slightly out of the ordinary materials and all the mm -hmm. symbolic meaning behind those materials to create uh, jewelry that basically hopefully has a deeper meaning and a, more of a connection for people and also a style. Um, cool. No, that's great. That's great. And I do want to dig a little bit more into that whole the essence behind what you do and, and the product itself, because there's so many great stories. And I know we've had a few conversations and you've, you've waxed lyrical about what the product is about and the meanings behind it. I think that's really, really interesting. So tell us where you're from originally, Gregory, because you're not from the UK originally, are you? No, no, no. The accent I know is a dead giveaway. Um, <laughs> I grew up in New York. Uh, okay. I'm basically a New Yorker. and I'm you know, yep. born and raised in New York, but have lived around quite a bit. I went to school in Texas. I also went to school in Japan uh, in university uh, for a year. And then I um, pretty much backpacked around the world for a year. Then I worked in Tokyo mm -hmm. then in Wall Street. And then I was brought over to London and then basically just fell in love with London. And then London has pretty much been my home. And I then also spent about 10 years in California. Okay. But came back here eight years ago. And just, yeah. again, this is my home. Yeah. So how old were you when you went to Tokyo? The first trip was a foreign exchange student in my junior year of university, and I was mm -hmm. about 19. Um, okay. And it was fascinating. It was a very wow. it was a great experience. I think I yeah. grew up a lot that year. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a big drop, isn't it? Being dropped into a country like that with all that culture. And how did you, how, from, a, from an American guy, lad, dare I say it, being dropped into a wonderful, um, rich cultural experience like Tokyo, well, Japan in essence, what was that like for you? Was that a real bit of a shock? Um, it was, but I, you know, honestly, I think that's what I was looking for in a sense that, um, you know, typical me, I didn't do a lot of due diligence before I went. I just kind of <laughs> got on a plane and went. I think I had read the book Shogun and a Time, a Time magazine article on Japan or something. That was the extent of my knowledge. When you grow up on the East Coast in the US, you're very aware of Europe, yeah, but very unaware of Asia. I mean, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. gross generalization. And so when I wanted to go abroad, I was looking at the programs in Europe and I had already learned to speak French in high school and I loved it, but I'd been to Europe as a teenager and, and I think I wanted some kind of serious adventure. And, and Asia to me was this just unknown quantity wow. or unknown land. So I arrived and, you know, first thing, I landed in Osaka and I, my first memory was as we landed in Osaka, there's just neon signs everywhere. Mm -hmm. I was just like, Wow. Okay, this is so not what I was expecting. <laughs> very modern. This is very whatever. And I just I had some great experiences, and I learned to speak Japanese uh, while I was there. Wow. And that was I was ended up staying for a year, and it was great. That's amazing. That's incredible. And then you came back to the. Did you go back to the U.S. after that, or did you go anywhere else after after that little uh, excursion? I went, to, I went back and did my senior year in university, and mm -hmm. then I then after when I graduated, I guess more as a way of postponing. Um, having to do any serious work. I basically, <laughs> you know, made my great grandmother's salad dressing recipe, sold it to all my mother's friends, got some money together and then buggered off to, you know, backpack the world for a year or what have you. Wow. That's really interesting. I mean, is that, I'm just thinking now, obviously your brand is called Atlas. Is there any similarities between your kind of backpacking, traveling the world and the brand name? I mean, where did the brand came from? Well, you know, interesting enough, it's funny. It has nothing to do with Atlas, the, um, and, and the world and what have you, it, it does in a way. Atlas was the name of my dog. Um, oh, right, okay. But the reason I named it Atlas is because the concept behind Atlas Accessories is, you know, depth of meaning using symbolism and just, you know, connecting to memories and meaning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of cultures and almost any religion basically says that if you, you know, say out loud the name of a divinity or an entity or what have you, you're calling on that, that entity or divinity's blessing. So for me, you know, when I talk about my company, Atlas Accessories, every day, multiple times a day, I'm remembering this 43 kilo Ridgeback Mastiff rescue dog that I found <laughs> in California that was the gentlest, most amazing thing on the planet. And he passed yeah. away a couple of years ago. But I named the company after him for that reason, as in uh -huh. terms of naming and symbolism more than anything else. And he got his name uh, because uh you know at the time when i got him things were very upside down in california and you know you just have those moments in life where everything's a little bit crazy you know when i got him i didn't have a care in the world he literally took the weight of the world off my shoulders so i named him atlas that's so cool that's so cool so i mean it's a wonderful story about the sentiment behind the name but how did you why why jewelry what you know why why was where, where did this idea come from well, so I mean, ever since I was a kid, um, I remember my first purchase, you know, was our trip to Hawaii when I was like 13. And, you know, I was all about the puka shell necklace. And this was like, <laughs> you know, smack in the middle of the 70s and the whole thing. And, you know, but I wore that thing, you know, despite getting teased in school, I was like, yeah. what? this reminds me of my trip to Hawaii and I don't care. So 
Um, I've been, I had a thing for accessories since I was a kid, but I always wanted things that had some kind of meaning. Like I would, uh, something would occur in life and it would be an incredible memory. And I would want something that represented that memory that I could carry with me effectively. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, over time, I just cobbled together conceptual things because I'm not a craftsperson in any way, shape or form. Um, but I had these ideas. And then eventually, you know, um, at 55, I kind of started thinking, OK, what do I want to do? And I built a lot of companies for other people. And I started to look a little more inward. And what do I want for me? And there was this big desire to do something creative. And while thinking about what I wanted to do, I found a craftsperson who this amazing young woman um, and together we designed and actually made the concepts that I had, you know, been thinking about. Like mm -hmm. the first one I ever designed was when I was 23 okay. and I was in Africa and I, you know, came back with a bracelet and I actually did something proper. And so effectively, um, I've been working with jewelry all my life, but not in a craft way, more in a design way, mm. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that is really interesting. So you, you're a you're self-professed non-designer, creative as such. However, you've got the understanding that product has a meaning, it has a purpose, and it has a statement that you want to obviously put that across. So what took you, Gregory, from from that element? I know you met this 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 wonderful lady that I'm sure we can dig a little bit deeper into her story, but what what took you from that idea into creating a commercial business? I mean, that's really what I'm interested in trying to understand here. So, um, you know, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, um, because as I mentioned, it's like, I love retail therapy. It's a great way mm -hmm. to think and, and what have you. And I decided to basically create a little bling for myself. Like, hey, I have these ideas on my wrist that I've been cobbling together for 35 years or whatever. Mm. And, you know, more often than not, they would fall off. And I'd have to, because the leather would degrade or something would happen. And I would have to then make them up again in some way. So I thought, you know what, what I'd really like to do for myself is I'd like to turn these concepts into proper pieces of jewelry. It yeah. just kind of occurred to me. And then I went looking for this young uh, a craftsperson and I found them. And then we started making the prototypes and, you know, we had to find the bison leather and we had to find someone who could actually cut the amber the way we wanted it and what have you. And we basically started building prototypes. Mm -hmm. And then as I started wearing them, more and more people started asking me where they could buy them. And okay. I, I, it was literally very organic in the sense that you know, I hadn't really gone into it with the view that, hey, I'm going to be a jewelry designer and I'm going to go make jewelry. I did it because I, I wanted something to occupy my mind and wanted something to just do for myself while I was thinking yeah. about what to do. Yeah. And then literally the kind of market told me, you know, by people saying, hey, those are cool. Where could I get those? And I think they basically, because they're designed by story as opposed to, you know, the story comes first, the materials that represent the story come second, then the design comes third. And I think mm -hmm. by the nature of the way I design, I kind of feel like they look like something that invite inquiry. And okay. so people started asking, tell me about this one. Oh, well, I made this one when I ran into a Royal Python snake in Battersea Park. Like they all have these crazy <laughs> stories. That's so okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. So that's your, that's the impetus for each individual style then a story so yes. are they your stories or, or are you adopting other people's stories or different cultures stories how are you coming up with all these stories well they're basically um 
basically are just due to events. So the the um, the Battersea Park, you know, Royal Python Snake. That's a great story. Um, when I was doing these prototypes and um, you know thinking about do I and people were asking me and I started thinking, hmm, okay, maybe this could be a business. Well, how would that work? I don't know nothing about fashion. I know nothing about yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just contemplating this and I was very nervous and I was very unsure. Mm -hmm. And I came across, I was walking Atlas, my dog, and um, we came across his five foot long uh, Royal Python in Battersea Park. Turns out someone had actually released a pregnant pet and the police had found three or four of these. Um, and if you Google, you know, you will find an article in the, in the Daily Mail or something. Um, and so this was this incredible experience. And um, Native Americans believe that if you come into an animal um, that is out of context, very much out of context, it's not just a message from the universe. It's a bit of a kick in the butt, like, hey, mm -hmm. you need to pay attention. So I went back. I have this great book that I looked at called Animal Speak. And it just tells you what the symbol, sim, uh, symbology and meaning is behind the different animals. And snakes are about being attuned with your environment and having the energy and the skill to evolve and transform. Yeah. And so I took that as a sign that this is what I needed to do. And I basically canceled my consulting gigs. I put every dime I had into Atlas Accessories. I called Dagna wow. and I said, let's go. And we took the leap. And um, yeah, and so I wanted to create a piece of jewelry to mark that memory. So yeah, I went okay. So I had the experience, then I went Googling for these materials. I found these vintage beads in the snake of shaped vertebra, and they were early trade beads made by the Europeans from molded glass to replace the actual snake vertebra that people use, that tribes use for trade. Right. It, it's almost in a way a, an accidental, you know, one of the earliest ethical replacements or, you know, um, products. So it's an interesting story there as well. Yeah. And so they, I felt like this was great. This, these materials, these beads sort of represented and looked like the whole snake symbolism. So mm -hmm. I, made, I made the accent with snake vertebra, which is part of our accent collection. And that, was, that design was born. Wow. So you really did go in all in on this. I mean, you, yeah. you, like you say, you, you, you scratched out your clients, your, your Rolodex was put away for a while yeah. because you had it. You had some, you've had some good jobs though, Gregory, right? You, I mean, you've, yeah. you've, you've earned some good money. It seems from the conversation well, that I've had in the past. I'm very much a um, instinctive decision maker. I would say I will happily jump off the cliff and figure it out as I go down. Like it's just, <laughs> that's never been a problem. This time, I think, you know, the pandemic kind of created a little bit of an extra, wow, wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I basically, it felt right. I, I just, I'm, a, I'm an instinctive decision maker more than anything else. So yeah. we took the leap. And so that's far, right. you know, it's, it was absolutely the right decision. We're still trying to figure out how you navigate this new world, but I'll never regret it no matter what happens. Yeah, yeah. So is that the advice you'd give to somebody coming into the industry? Right, just just jump off that cliff and just try and yeah. flap your wings as fast as you possibly can. I think, I guess the way I would express it is, I think it always, I'm also an overthinker in a sense and a strategist. So my jumping off a cliff, is, it's, it's more akin to I will think about scenarios. I will run things through 150,000 times in my head. Mm-hmm for 70% of the decision maybe. But then there comes a point where you have to say, okay, you've done the due diligence, you've thought it through in great detail. And if you really feel you have done that, then you've got to allow yourself that last 30% leap of faith because yeah. 
you're never going to know until you do it. And I also yeah. don't think I've always had a philosophy in building companies where, you know, you don't learn in pure analysis and research. You have to be in action to really learn. So yeah. at some point you have to step into action. Otherwise the learning won't actually solidify. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd say do a lot of detailed work, ask a thousand people, a thousand questions, look mm. at it from every possible perspective, but then recognize when you're holding back just because you're not willing to take that leap of faith in a sense. And I think, yeah, I think, you know, what's really interesting about this and, and the points that you raised there, Gregory is you are quite analytical. You know, I've spoken to you a few times now and you are, I can see the cogs working literally as we're having a conversation, you know, um, which is a wonderful attribute. I think the difference with a lot of people in the trade, especially designers or, or, or the majority of the creative fraternity, you know, they, they do lead from their heart and often they don't have that ability to ask those questions. They yes. know they need to ask them, but they just don't know how to kind of put that across to get the answers that they need to make the right decision. Um, yeah, that's a really, really interesting one, that, that, uh, a really interesting think, point that you raised there. I think um, the best advice I would give there is that you might not know how to do it, but I'm quite sure within one or two degrees of separation, you will know someone. So don't be yeah. afraid to ask for help. You are who yeah. you are. I think this is the trick. For example, I have found, I mean, I am who I am. And there are certain aspects of this industry that I will never grasp and I will never understand. And I, yeah. you know, if I'm going to have someone like a salesperson or a wholesale person, what have you, I have to be able to trust them. You yeah. have to, you can't do this yourself. You'll never do this kind of thing yourself. So you have to know where your limitations are be self-aware and then go out and find the people that'll help you. Mm -hmm. You will be able to find people. And what's your first impressions then? Well, not first impressions, because obviously you've done it a few years now, but how has your mind changed with regards to people within the industry? Would you say it's kind of cutthroat? Would you say it's very relaxed? What, what kind of adjectives would you use to describe the industry from, from, from new eyes looking in? That's a good question. Um, it's a very it's very different than most of the other industries I've done. I've pretty much done most industries. But I would say, you know, the reliance on relationship that this industry has even more than the film industry, even more than the music industry, more than any other industry, it is very about much about understanding the nuances of how business is done mm -hmm. in this that is a very much a relationship oriented business. I think there's an amazing opportunity to take that even further. Like what I guess the bit I'm not quite understanding is I see this as a fundamental aspect of this industry, relationship driven. So when you get to the economic and legal level, why does that relationship not follow all the way through? Why isn't there yeah. more of a balance about, hey, I'm a retailer and I'm going to look after you designer and brander because you're going to drive my business. It becomes you go from this relationship to this zero sum game negotiation and that disconnect I don't get. Yeah. In terms of there's such a great opportunity, especially with the way the world has been shaken up, that to everybody can form, you know, little ecosystems where yeah. everyone is helping everyone. And that industry then becomes even more robust and, and successful. But you have to treat all of the economic and legal relationships more of a relationship. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's, it's, it's very combative on that level. 
That's a really interesting point you raised there, because I think you're right. I think what happened has happened over the last couple of years is that everyone was very competitive and it was very much cutthroat and people stamping yeah. on each other to get what they needed to get through. But there has definitely been a shift or maybe it's just a shift in the social circles and the business circles I'm working in. But I think you're absolutely right. The des- there does definitely seem to be more collaboration um and more association with like-minded thoughts and i think that's really healthy and um no that's that's great that's really really good but um listen i want to jump more about the product now so i want to talk about your your actual product because i am intrigued about the the sourcing of your materials and everything else so it's okay having a great story and and an understanding of what you want to achieve but then you've got the problem of getting the product together so how did you tackle that then gregory where did you get your your products from that was um so the interesting that was a year year and a half of um a lot of google searches and a lot of conversations and a lot of networking um, because we source bison from the US and kudu comes from um, Africa and the mm-hmm. kangaroo comes from Australia, the English bridle comes from England, but then we have stones from all over the world and we have beads that come from all over the world. And what we've been very lucky is literally, again, through a network of relationships, we have found our lapidaries and we have found our bison suppliers. Um, I think the hardest thing was, you know, wanting to be sustainable, wanting to be ethical. Like I, I understand that there are, are many people out there that just think leather should be as a non-starter and should never happen. And that's fine. That That's an absolutely perfect perspective. You're absolutely right. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there are communities that, for example, have been hunting kudu for thousands of years. Yeah. And, you know, our kudu, for example, comes from Namibia where, you know, local hunters, subsistence hunters will, um, you know, hunt kudu for living. And then they will sell off the hides and the horns as extra income. So, you know, I look at that and I think that's a great story. I feel like I'm hoping we are contributing to the health and welfare of that village and that group. And I'm not going to tell them how to, you know, live their life and what have you. Yeah. So we have really gone very deep in our supply relationships and really try to create relationships like you know, here, here's our view and we want it to be sustainable and ethical. So how ethical is it? Okay. Is there a view that we can continue to improve that over the next year or two? And we pretty much have been lucky enough to find suppliers that have a wonderfully balanced perspective. Um, we have, I guess the best way to describe the balance is they want to be ethical. They want to be sustainable. That is fundamental to who they are, but they also recognize the reality of it may take time to get there. It's not going to happen overnight. And then what I love is the way they communicate with uh, us. And so we hope to then communicate with the consumer is that we're not perfect and here's where we are and here's how we're going to improve it. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, I slightly got off track on that um, in talking about the suppliers. No, that's fine. You know me off on tangents all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, And that's a really good point you raised there about um, the leather in particular. And there's one episode that I recorded with a guy called Daniel um, from the Herd's Throne. And he goes into depth about leather and tanning. And, and yeah. he's based in, you know, in, in Canada. And he's just got an amazing business because he has gone back to basics, simply yeah. has. And um, there's great verification with him and his trade and the craft of, of doing what he does. Yeah. Um, and just talking about that, Gregory. So I, I had a quick look on your website and I check uh, anybody 
it. I recommend anybody listening to this podcast goes on and checks out the um, the website and the Instagram because it is fascinating. But you've got a section there and it's called Smoke cleanse and release and i'm intrigued to understand a little bit more i did read it so i do know a little bit more about i do know a little bit about it but how do you how do you visualize that that messaging and how do you want that to come across to your end consumer what's all that about so well that that actually comes from um when i was in the u.s um actually i'm not sure if i actually should say this in public but it's like i found an eagle feather war bonnet many many moons ago uh, in europe Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why, but I literally, I just, I wanted to find out what tribe it belonged to. Yeah. And I basically found the tribe that it belonged to and I brought it back to them and I gave it to them. And as a result, I ended up doing a lot of, um, you know, work with, or being part of that tribe. It was the Lakota tribe. Um, and you know, I had these amazing experiences and a lot of what they do, like what they do particularly is called smudging. And you take white sage and you use the smoke to cleanse negative energy as before or after a ceremony. And I love that concept. And I love the idea of using that um, to you know, clear away negative energy. And there's a lot of cultures around the world that employ this kind of smoke cleansing in various forms. The Aztecs use copal, which is a tree resin. And um, the tribes in the Middle East, for example, use dragon's blood, and that's a resin from a tree. Mm-hmm. But I say we call it smoke cleansing because, um, you know, I think one needs to be these are the, these ancient practices are fantastic. And it's amazing if you can bring them into your life. But there also needs to be a respect for these ancient practices. And whenever yeah. it comes around saying smudging, it's a very particular Native American, um, you know, experience and ceremony. It has meaning and purpose. And to simply co-opt that because you want to talk about, oh, I smudge and I do this. I, I mm-hmm. absolutely hate that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ensure I love the concept. I love the idea that we try and cleanse it of any negative energy the product has had while going through our hands. And we send it off to the customer clean, ready to connect with the customer. But I wanted to be very authentic in what we say and respectful of other people's traditions. And so that's, yeah. why, that's why we say smoke, cleanse, release, because it's mm-hmm. a fundamental concept. And how do you do that? I mean, again, I love that. I love that. The, 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 the idea of that, you know, bringing that spiritualism and tradition and everything else. But do you do that in London? I mean, is that, is that something yeah. that you literally do every single piece of jewelry that you guys sell, you've gone through this process with? Yeah, so we, um, it's kind of like our ending ceremony with the product before it goes into the thing. We have uh, this little mixture, and this is like the little kid in me gets to have a lot of fun with this. I just <laughs> take different resins and different, you know, herbs, and you crush them all up in a mortar and pestle, and you feel like a little wizard, and it's just, I kind of feel like I'm a kid again. And we make our little powder, and basically we then put it over a hot coal, and as it smokes, we put all of the, um, we hang all of the, uh, products over it and we let the smoke kind of go through it. Um, we even built a little box, a smoking chamber in a sense that we put them in and then we'll do that for several hours. And um, it just kind of cleans it. I mean, the, the one thing that I love is that a lot of customers have said, you know, oh, you know, one person sent it back and uh, for a repair that we were going to do. And they emailed and they said, you know, sorry, sorry to push, but when can I have it back? I miss it. And wow, you have these amazing. wonderful, yeah, yeah, we have wonderful comments from people who are saying they can feel the energy. And you know, again, does that con does that stuff exist? Does it not exist? My view of the world with that is that 
if you feel something, whether it's a memory or a meaning or a process or a ritual that helps you be who you want to be, then who cares? Yep. You know, yeah. Yeah. And it builds that. Yeah. It builds that sentiment with the product as well. And that's really, really important, isn't it? Because I think it's really lovely to have things. I've got things that I, that, that have, huge meaning to me and actually they might not be worth anything from a monetary perspective but actually they will be passed on to my kids even clothing and I think that's really really important that you can kind of infuse what you've got with your own soul and uh, that sounds really woo-woo but honestly (laughs) so for me the concept of connection and legacy and what have you is that you know in ancient times you know these these leathers were chosen for particular reasons because of their elasticity, water, you know, waterproofing, durability, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when things were made, things were made to last. Like something was made because it gave you protection or told a story. And you were given something that you expected to last your entire lifetime and probably be passed down. Okay, the mm-hmm. leather straps might be replaced now and again. But, you know, if you carved a piece of amber for a purpose and you hung it on your neck as an amulet for some kind of, you know, belief or protection or what have you, you wanted that to stay with you. It was part of you. And it's valued, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think jewelry is a fantastic opportunity to really, you know, for authentic expression. Mm. Um, This is why we have so many different materials because we want all that meaning and symbolism to allow people to craft their own story. Because for me, the biggest, the biggest thing missing, I think today, or we've lost sight of is storytelling. And what storytelling does is when I tell you a story about myself, I open up to you energetically. And if that then inspires you to tell a story about yourself to me, that's how connection is made. That's how community is made. Mm -hmm. And it's something where, you know, authentic self-expression is not always easy. I mean, it's why people do fashion because it's a great way to express yourself. And I think jewelry can go deeper because the choice of materials and what you can use and play with and what you can do is far more robust than fashion because this is more uh, individual in a sense, in my mind. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we make everything by hand. And, you know, we love it when people, we always have customers come and say, Hey, well, you have this design. Can I add this and change this and do that? We're like, absolutely. Let's have a chat. And it's yeah. that's a lot of fun when we can do that. And we've crafted literally crafted pieces that have actual detailed stories so that when someone wears their bracelet, they mm-hmm. have meaning and story on their arm and it carries. And the biggest thing with the materials, we chose the materials so that you would never have to take anything off. You can wear this in salt water, shower every day, et cetera. The ones I'm wearing right now, I'm very bad mm-hmm. about waxing and care. I haven't waxed them in eight months and I've never wow. taken them off and they're in perfect condition. And yeah, the yeah. whole point is these materials are materials that were meant to last. So yeah. it also reduces disposability, which helps the environment. I think that's that's where we come from. That's so cool. And who is your customer then, Gregory? Who is the ideal? I know that I, I don't want to pigeonhole because I think sure. it's it's very it's very easy to understand more about your brand. Just listening to you talk in there, it's I've got an idea of who your customer is, but I'm just interested to see whether or not that matches with with who your perception is. Well, I mean, the great thing is, and the bad thing is, we have a very broad appeal, a lot of different segments. Um, 
I did the one thing I've told every entrepreneur I've ever worked with. I, I did, I did the opposite of what I always told them to do. I always said, don't go out with too much opportunity because it'll kill you stone dead. So what did I do? I launched with 33 designs, which was you know, classic. The guy who can't even take his own advice. It was, just, it was quite funny. And that was my first learning curve, my lesson. Like, you know, I, I now understand why people do that. But um, yeah. in terms of specific individual customer, the way I would actually describe them is the urban adventurer. Okay. Somebody who's a bit cosmopolitan, kind of enjoys city life, but like the investment banker, for example, or successful entrepreneur doing whatever they do, you know, who might you know be wearing a suit, but underneath it is this kind of funky, weird stuff that's very distinct. And, you know, it, it peeks out in a sense. Like I was in investment banking with all this stuff on my arm and, <laughs> you know, I'd be in meetings and all of a sudden I'd reach for something and people are like, what the hell are you wearing? And I'd like, relax, it's fine. <laughs> but I would say the consciously successful okay. people who um, nowadays, you know, success is not necessarily mutually exclusive with doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, especially the younger generations, which is so exciting to see, they're being incredibly successful and have these fabulous quality lives, but they're saving the whale at the same time. Yeah. And I would say our customer is that person. It goes across multiple segments. But the ethos, the spirit of the person is, I want to live a good life. I want to work hard. I want to be creative, maybe probably a little entrepreneurial, but mm -hmm. I, want to, I want to give as much back as I make. And okay. I want to you know, use what I, I want to use my success to drive change. I mean, that's why, you know, with Atlas, it's sort of we give stuff off the top. No creative accounting. We give 5% gross revenue. And we work with World Land Trust, who's doing amazing things. Because our view is that success should drive actual change. Yeah. And, and just talking about your charitable work, because I think, again, it's it's an amazing it's amazing link because it, it's it's OK talking about wonderful things, but actually implementing them and, yeah. and putting money into them is, is all important. How's that been for you over and above just giving the money? How has that actually affected you and, and your your drive? As a person or their company? As a person, as a person. Um, it's made me very excited. I mean, the one thing I love about World Land Trust is their buy an acre program is um, they literally go out and you know how you have these large plots of land for whatever reason, like say in Borneo, you have the orangutans and there'll be this, you know, 20 acre, 100 acre, whatever, little plot that if you could buy that, it connects up the whole thing and creates this massive ecosystem. And so the concept mm -hmm. I love and there's a lot of debate around planting a tree, not planting a tree. And this seems a lot more tangible to me to, to save and permanently protect endangered habitat. And, you know, this jigsaw puzzle of trying to link up all these things and create more protected land. Hmm. And it's, it was tangible. And, you know, what I wanted to do is when someone, for example, like, you know, when you have a plant fiber, bra you know, affinity bracelet on your wrist, I want someone to be able to look and say, yeah, you know, that that is, uh, you know, an eighth of an acre that I helped save. Or if you're yeah. wearing five of them, you've saved an entire acre, for example. And I really believe that there's an opportunity with e-commerce, especially that as part of the ecosystem, the planet really needs to be treated like a stakeholder. It's in the ecosystem. And if you ignore it, you ignore it at your peril, as we're now learning. Mm -hmm. But the trick there is at, for a consumer as well, I really don't like when brands do a lot of talk and don't do a lot of action. And yeah. so I want this to be tangible and um, transparent. And so the idea is that every time you make a purchase, 
you know exactly on a quantified basis exactly what your impact is. And it might be a tenth of an acre or a twelfth of an acre, but mm -hmm. you know, it's tangible. Yeah, yeah. And I want to find out, Gregory, what's the best part of your job? Because, you know, listening to you, you've got this wonderful um, overview of the messaging and the storytelling and everything else. But what's the thing that makes you get up every day? What is that thing? Well, I'm working with a lot. Of, so um, I've always loved mentoring um, younger people. Okay. And the entire company is pretty much, I'm the oldest. I'm literally the old dude in the company. And mm -hmm. it's sort of everybody else's 30 something, early 30 something or 20 something. I really like that I am helping guide them, you know, or creating something that they will then inherit and take over. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that really make like, just makes me sit up and go, wow, is when you get that message from a customer that says, hey, I, I you know, I had this experience and I want to express this. And, you know, how can I get more meaning into it? Or they just, you start a dialogue with someone and effectively yeah. someone is telling you their story. Yeah, I, I could I chatter a lot, but you get someone who is good at telling a story or you hear someone's story. And I love listening to people tell stories. Mm -hmm. I think storytelling is a lost art. And, you know, it's fascinating to hear about other people's passions and their views and their experiences. So that that interaction, that design, which comes up fairly often, is uh, one of the big drivers for me. The idea that, you know, hey, maybe something I'm doing is going to help someone tell their story and maybe look good at the same time. And who knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It just strikes me bizarre that you've never done a podcast before, you know, because, oh God, you know, <laughs> it's the most why, terrifying thing I've ever done. <laughs> why is that? Why is that? Well, I'm going to ask that question. Why, why have you always kind of shied away from, from doing this previously? Honestly, I'm a bit of a loner. Um, okay. you know, I've, uh, you know, I've worked with wolves. I've worked with animals and around animals. I'm very comfortable, but I've just, um, I've always just been, I've got some, I've got great friends, but I've got a few of them. And, you know, I've always just been a little bit of a loner. So um, I've never been uh, good at public speaking. I've been asked to do talks at universities and stuff when I was working in investment banking, because my specialty was ecosystem model design and ecosystem design. And, okay. um, you know, and oh my God, they would look at me and I would have this blank look on my face, like me stand up in front of 300 people. Are you out of your mind? It's like, <laughs> and I'm out of the room with my hair on fire. And it's just like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's, I'm sure Freud would have a hell of a lot to say about it, but I, I don't know. It just always yeah. makes me nervous. I, you know, am I going to get it wrong? Am I going to get, you know, it's like. Yeah, yeah. but do you know what? It was what is really interesting. And when I talk to founders of brands, especially, you know, it's that inner that inner confidence that that seeps through you know that's what i think when people are in the space and they feel comfortable talking about what they really believe deep down yeah. it just comes out and and from an outsider looking in and i'm sure people will listen to this podcast gregory and go oh my god you know i feel i feel absolutely inspired i want to go out and i want to you know i want to put meaning into my product that i'm producing these are all wonderful wonderful attributes that you are you talk so so beautifully about you know and um yeah please keep well, this going honestly because it's to be honest i mean this is really down to you because um uh, you just you're very genuine and i like that what you're doing is trying to get information out that also helps other people even helps the younger generation so like that's what gets me on board if i'm you know if someone like yourself is helping lead me to the water to help them give information as you are doing to give to other people i enjoy that and wow, that's very kind so of you. Feel about the whole thing, it made it easier. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do an audio high five. If there yeah, is, okay. there you go. <laughs>
<laughs> Listen, it's been an absolute treat, Gregory. Honestly, Ruff, thoroughly enjoyed, enjoyed it. That, and um, I just want to find out a little bit. I've got one more question because I know you've got lots of things in the pipeline and we've talked offline about some of the opportunities that you're looking at going forward um, into into stores and things like that. I mean, what's what's the strategy for the brand over the next kind of couple of years? Where Where do you foresee it being? Uh, it's a great question. I think, you know, we pretty much developed the company as a direct to consumer. We wanted to try and uh, come in at a slightly more accessible price for handmade luxury products and stuff. And mm -hmm. what I've learned and what I find fascinating, and I'm not sure exactly what my take is or what I'm going to do about it yet, but strategically, there seems to be this incredible schism or disconnect between the retail model and the high margins required for that, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, and these hot new direct-to-consumer models, which are nowhere near as easy to set up as everybody thinks. Um, so, you know, there's a very, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic in this instance right now. And there's a natural friction between those two. And my wish would be to see the whole industry come together and create ecosystems and partnerships where literally you, do, you spread the risk across the entire ecosystem and you, mm -hmm. you spread the reward. Like, you can literally redistribute the profits across the ecosystem and create a far more robust and healthy environment where everyone benefits. Mm -hmm. I really think that's possible. I'm not delusional enough to think that it is in a rough road and there aren't going to be bumps along the way. But if anything, you know, we've learned that if we actually stick together in an ecosystem and people create partnerships that are respectful of each other, the whole ecosystem benefits. Across yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that was Atlas coming through to you then. <laughs> Bless him. I miss him a lot. <laughs> Listen, how can people get hold of you, Gregory, and the wonderful stuff that you're doing? What's the best way for people to connect? Um, our website is atlasaccessories.com and our Instagram is atlasaccessories.co. Um, but, you know, we're doing pretty good on SEO. So if you, if mm -hmm. you, you Google Atlas Accessories, we should pop up. Unless... Cool. You might get a Volkswagen part, but <laughs> Volkswagen <laughs> also has the name Atlas. So. <laughs> right, okay. No, that's cool. Brilliant. All right. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. I know you've got a busy afternoon ahead of you. So um, listen, Thank you. thanks again. Sure. I really, honestly, it's been an absolute joy. And I wish you and everything that you're doing all the best. It's going to be Thank brilliant. You. So it, this take has care. Been great. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Gregory there from Atlas Accessories telling us all about his wonderful jewellery brand. And I know I sound a little bit like a broken record at times, but please do check out my guests' work. Honestly, these guys are doing some incredible things, especially if you feel that you resonate with them, because that's really, really important. Don't be scared. Send them a message. Slide into their DMs is what they're all saying. Uh, do whatever you need to do, but please do get in touch with these people because I know they would love to hear from you. I want to keep the storytelling going and I'm going to tell you a little bit about next week's guest. I spoke to a lovely young lady, lovely young lady, uh, sound like my granddad. Uh, her name is Sarah Thompson and she's really at the very, very start of a brand building adventure. And I always like to get a little bit of perspective on the show and try and get lots of different angles you know those that have done things and those that are doing things I think that's really important so if you're just about to embark on creating a brand 
tune into next week's show. It's a really insightful episode, this one. And um, it's just so nice to see some new talent coming in. So hopefully you'll tune in for that next Friday. I'm packed up. I'm ready off to my first trade show in 18 months. Um, So I don't know what that's going to be like, but no doubt I will fill you in accordingly. So take care and have a great week. Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com. Go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, keep learning, keep listening and keep creative.